Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Barry Maxtay. And I'm Ben Vandeveld. And we'd like you to help us celebrate failure on our weekly podcast, Worst Foot Forward. Each week, we are joined by a guest as we discuss the world's worst something. Everything from superhero to astronaut, board game to British day out, protests and conspiracy theories. We dive into humankind's darkest depths in search of the absolute pits. We aim to inform and entertain, so our guests range from comedians to scientists, wine connoisseurs to wrestling promoters. On Worst Foot Forward, we've learned why rocks aren't really hard, why lacrosse can cause military catastrophes, and what happens when you let the French make sexy computer games. While also uncovering hordes of rampaging mink, brothels shaped like vaginas, and the hit sitcom Napoleon and Hitler. So if you enjoy your trivia with a healthy side of silliness. Listen to us explore humanity's worst efforts on Worst Foot Forward. Please subscribe to Worst Foot Forward on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podcast Republic, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and join us for some fun-filled zero worship. That wasn't bad for Take 37. Hello and welcome to Partly Political Broadcast episode 62. I'm Tin and Duyeb and ah shit, what a horrible, horrible past week it has been. Um, About 30 minutes after I popped last week's episode up on the internet, I saw all the really horrific news about Manchester and I felt well shit and depressed by it all, to be honest. Um, There's little I can add to what's already been said about the terrorist attack at the Manchester Arena last week, but... Before I get into the usual sardonic critique of the week's political bullshit, I just wanted to send uh, thoughts and much, much love to all affected, to any of you listeners out there who live nearby, and say that the response that Manchester gave to the worldly shit that it suffered was one of kindness, aplomb, thoughtfulness and caring of the kind that should always be the way that I think these things are responded to. I mean, it seems to have been inbuilt in us to now respond to tragedy with further fear-mongering and finger-pointing in general, uh, the former of which is the worst kind of mongering, with cheese being the best, and the latter, finger-pointing, should only really ever be used as a dance move to point something out or for a very, very dramatic nose-pick. Um, but Manchester, with its vigils, its fundraising, its collective spirit that even got Liam Gallagher being charitable, I mean, that is how to do it. It was lovely. It was properly heartwarming and restored my faith in people after some of it had definitely been lost during that horrible attack. Um, in my experience, and again, I know everyone said this and I don't want to repeat the same thing everyone said for the past week, but Manchester has always been an amazingly diverse and inclusive city. Um, I mean, except if you're an open spot 12 years ago who started their set in front of a rowdy crowd on a Friday with, so I'm from London, in which case they will tell you to fuck off. And let's be fair, rightfully so. Um, but I have learned since then that Seriously, I love that city. I love performing there. I was there uh, back in September at the Dance House. It was one of my favourite shows of the year. Um, 
so look it's been a shitty week and while I don't believe that love conquers all because look if that is true why can't I love my Veruca away but I do think it's a ton more powerful than using last Monday's attacks to inhibit human rights divide people even more and generally make things a lot worse it is important to remember that there are shitty shitty people in the world but we always have more in common than that which divides us Uh, and also we do share 60% of our DNA with bananas so maybe we should stop eating them as well as it's kind of weird when you think about it um right on to the more newsy stuff uh isis claimed credit for the horrible attack last week because they are the john terry of the terrorist world and i often wonder if we'd be best to defeat isis by ringing them up about car accidents they haven't had as they'll definitely say they did it looks a lot more like the attacker was a lone british citizen from libyan descent salman abdi and while he was killed in the attack 13 other men have also been arrested in suspicion of terrorist offenses and the threat level was raised from severe to critical temporarily but is now back to severe so hey chill everyone because that only means there is a possibility of an imminent terrorist attack yeah that's where we are in the uk in 2017 a place where severe requires a nonchalant state of calm yet people get into a hissy fit panic about how far away you should start waving to someone you know if you approach them from a distance prime minister and machine and mensch theresa may became the first uk leader to deploy operation tempera which sounds a lot like everyone gets free thai style battered prawns or veg something that if you add sweet chili to would definitely soothe the nation but sadly actually means that 5,000 army troops were deployed to help the police at key strategic sites because nothing makes people feel more secure about the possibility of someone with a dangerous weapon in their area than knowing for sure that lots of people with dangerous weapons are in their area to stop them. While politicians stopped campaigning for two days out of respect for the victims, the attack raised quite a lot of questions that may well affect the election, including Theresa May's cutting of 19,000 police officers during her time as Home Secretary, as well as 25% cuts to police funding. Obviously, the 5,000 extra army troops that have just been deployed may not be necessary if there was a fully staffed police force. And you do sort of wonder, with army recruits falling below 80,000 at the moment and the defence budget also cut, who would replace the army soldiers if they're needed while they're out replacing police? I mean, you you could argue that the government's counter-terrorism plan is just to swap everyone's jobs around and that would confuse any potential terrorists who'd be too baffled to do anything because all the nurses are working for the fire brigade and farmers are driving tanks. May's argument is that she wants to increase police powers, especially when tackling online encryption, but you need more resources to use those powers, otherwise we'll just have a daddy longlegs style police force with deadly poison but no fangs to bite anyone, and instead stupid, stupid long legs that flap about when they fly into your face, because sometimes evolution is a total piss taker. While May was at Cobra meetings, which always sounds right to me as I'm sure she speaks partial tongue, Labour leader Jeremy, I can't believe he doesn't own a narrowboat, Corbyn, attended the Manchester vigil before making a speech on Friday where he stated that terrorism was in part a retaliation to Western interventionism, which no one wants to hear because if that's true, it means we're the bad guys too, resulting in us having to make a speech about all our evil plans and we're not good enough at transparency for that sort of thing. And besides, hey, the US press would probably leak it all first anyway. Actually, though, two former heads of MI5, 16 US intelligence agencies and Boris Johnson are among some of the people who've also commented in the past on how, while it's by no means the only factor, intervention by the UK in the Middle East has a link to the rise in terrorist attacks here in the UK. Of course, the main arguments from critics against this is that terrorists just want to attack us for who we are. But if that's true, then we are a country that likes to bomb countries in the Middle East, so I guess it's still part of it. As the election campaign kicked back in, some, but not all of the polls, have shown Labour closing in on the Conservatives, and the response from the Tories has firstly been to ramp up accusations of Corbyn's possible connections with the IRA in the past. This included Foreign Secretary Boris, who overstuffed the taxidermied Lama Johnson, tweeting a picture of Corbyn with recently deceased former First Minister of Northern Ireland and Sinn Féin politician Martin McGuinness. This was accompanied by the tagline, I genuinely think it's important people know Corbyn claimed in recent days he never met the IRA, You cannot trust this man. Good point, Bojo. There are loads of pictures with the Queen meeting Martin McGuinness in 2012 too, so I think we should get her in for questioning ASAP as she clearly can't be trusted with the safety of our country. Oddly, no one seems to have asked anyone from Northern Ireland about how they feel with the UK government constantly bringing up the troubles all over again and throwing accusations about democratically elected Sinn Féin politicians around. But hey, I'm sure they all trust the Conservatives not to carry out any sort of injustice when it comes to Northern Irish politics. Hmm... 
While many on the Labour side are keen to counter these accusations against Corbyn by saying that he was a key part of the Northern Irish peace process, several Northern Irish commentators have actually said that they didn't really remember him being part of it at all. I mean, tough call for Jezza. To be fair, as opposed to May riling up the EU, selling weapons to the Saudis and befriending Trump, perhaps there is no safer alternative than the UK having a leader that no one notices or pays any attention to. Meanwhile, US intelligence kept up its reputation for being leakier than a Welsh soup, as all info passed from the UK about the terrorist attack appeared on US media before it had been released here. Still, at least they didn't try to remake or reboot any of it. President of America Donald I've had too many Barockas Trump tweeted after the G7 summit in Sicily that British Prime Minister May was very angry that the info the UK gave to US about Manchester was leaked. Gave me full details. And that proves the older age that if you can't work out which of your pals are leaking information, that's because it's almost certainly you. The G7 summit were unable, during their meeting, to come up with a statement of consensus on the climate change tackling Paris Agreement because, get this, Donald Trump hasn't yet made his mind up on actively reducing gas emissions. No, you make your own jokes. German Chancellor and squished emo Phillips Angela Merkel stated that they can't rely on the US and UK anymore as she is experienced at the summit and that Europe must now take its destiny into its own hands. Either she doesn't realise Destiny 2 is coming out soon or maybe post-Brexit Global Britain actually refers to how everyone all over the world now thinks that we're shit. Oh, and Donald Trump also met the Pope, which is the first time I've ever seen a major religious figure appear to really rethink whether there is actually good in everyone. Trump, meanwhile, mostly looked like he was thinking, I'd be a great Pope, the best Pope. Ugh, terrifying thought. Imagine if all God's secrets were leaked to the Russians. Is there even such a thing as dogma whistle politics? Would we have to change the term papal bull to mean something else? So many questions. Phew. Ah, oh my god, how is there still so much news? Thank you so much for listening to this show, as always. And firstly, apologies, um, as such is the result of releasing this podcast at the same time every week and the way that the news works and events have happened. Obviously, last week's show didn't mention the horrors of Manchester, uh, even though it probably got into your ears just after it. So if you listened to it, assuming I'd ignored it all like some sort of callous arsehole, then I am very, very sorry indeed. Um, I am still obviously a callous arsehole, but for many, many other reasons entirely. Um, also, on this week's show, I have been desperately trying to get an expert in terrorism or risk studies or war studies for this week, as it is an area I've absolutely no idea about, despite how defensive I can get if you question things like, why on earth I like savoury porridge? And hey, it's because it's like having a whole meal instead of a dessert, and then you can have sweet porridge afterwards like a dessert, and at no point do you have to chew. Not sorry. But yeah, look, I contacted about 15 different possible guests um, that dealt with those subjects, and understandably, they were all swamped with other immediate requests by proper things over the past week so huge apologies for maybe not being as relevant as your other listens this week um which does prompt me to ask you actually you you there listening um finding guests for this show is probably the hardest bit of it well aside from getting you all to review it on itunes i mean seriously all you have to do is click some stars yeesh blood from a stone um but look guest is really hard and if any of you feel that you might have the time in the week to chase up guests for me, it would be incredibly appreciated or even just help point me in the right direction of who I could ask that I haven't already. Um, I've got a couple of people that occasionally help me on this, but seriously, the more the merrier and the higher the likelihood I'll get in guests that can actually talk about breaking news stuff um, as it happens. Especially as, I'll be honest, post-election, who knows what on earth we're going to be needing to talk about and I haven't really got anyone lined up at the moment. So if you're interested in helping and you don't mind dedicating, I don't know, even 10 minutes a week... Uh, to just chase some people down, um, please do drop me a line at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Chasing some people down sounds like I'm organising something else entirely. Maybe ignore that statement. F- finding people for the show. That's a lot better. Um, thanks this week to Andy Zoidberg for donating to the Kofi account. Thank you very much for that. Uh, and you can do that too. If you want to donate something, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash bro. Or if you want to do a more regular thing and get extras like the bonus chat with last week's guest, Jamie McColl, uh, then you can and join the Patreon because I loaded that up there last week. Um, you can do that with even a £1 a month donation at patreon.com forward slash bro. so please do that if you can. Um, and also, if you haven't heard of money before or you aren't even sure what it is, then why not just review this show on iTunes or Stitcher or in a letter to OK Magazine, which might prompt others to tell you how once a ghost reviewed something they did and how the sweat patches on your review are ugly. Next week, uh, I am probably going to release a mini podcast. There is not a lot of point in releasing a full-length one when it's going to be out of date just two days later, but that is okay because... 
I have got so much live stuff coming up that you can get your full fill of Tian and Duyeb in the real world and you can hear me with your eyes as well as your ears if you like. Um, for example, this Wednesday, if you're an Alpha Team Tuesday podcast listener, uh, that is the Stand Up for Refugees gig at the Birmingham Rep. There are somehow still tickets left for that, which makes no sense, even though it's Nish Kumar, Mrs. Barbara Dice, Joe Lysett, Al Murray, uh, Alison June Smith, Tez Ilias, and me. So please, if you can help sell that out, it's for a good cause, as I say every week, because it is. Um, then June the 3rd, I'm doing an Edinburgh preview at the Regather Festival in Sheffield with the brilliant, brilliant Jordan Brooks. Um, June the 4th is my kids' show at the Underbelly Festival South Bank called What Is This General Election All About with uh, Tatsun Spiller from Simple Politics and some improvisers. And of course, on June the 8th, Election Day is my Fuck the Election special show, which is at the Phoenix in Oxford Circus with Marcus Brigstock, Josie Long, Johnny and the Baptist, and lots of other pals joining me. And it is going to be the perfect post voting cathartic evening of drinking and laughing. So please do come along. All of those are on my website, tnndoyeb.co.uk forward slash gigs as well as all the other shows I'm doing and I've also popped that up on my personal comedian Facebook page too with links and everything because hey I like your face um this week's show right get on to that I'm looking at some security issues uh, not personally obviously I've got locks on my doors um, uh, there's a brief look at the manifestos of Lib Dems Greens UKIP Plaid Kimri and a little bit of SNP and I also had a chat with James Smith who is the leader of Something New uh, a very recently formed party running two candidates in the election because hey I wanted to know why on earth you would want to start your own party ever uh, he spoke to me from a sunny field so he has clearly got his shit together uh, so this week First, let us start with some of this. Last week's terrorist attack has raised a lot of important questions. And no, I'm not talking about asking what the best way to celebrate Katie Hopkins getting fired from LBC as a result of her awful Nazi-based comments is, because we all know the answer to that. Yes, you're right, it's pretty much to laugh forever and ever and ever and then take a really deep breath and then laugh forever again. No, it is not an infringement of freedom of speech, as Katie Hopkins can keep spouting her racist bile if she likes, just not in the employment of a radio station that's mostly only listened to by people with broken radio tuners. But no, look, there are some very important questions, actual ones, and while turning such an event into something for political gain isn't right at all, the fact is a terrorist attack like last week's is political, and that is unavoidable. I mean, go on, try and avoid it. See? See, you can't. I mean, you were more malleable than I thought you were going to be, but you still can't. Have you tried Limbo, though? You'd be pretty good. First up is why on earth this happened, which is always the bleakest bit because it means looking at the motive and the attacker. What we know so far is that Salman Abdi was Manchester-born and his parents came to the UK after fleeing Gaddafi's rule in Libya. Gaddafi was up there with the most bonkers of dictators, uh, if you remember, and he would mix his time up before he was killed in 2011 by either keeping his enemies' heads in a freezer or hanging out with Michael Jackson. Two things that you, like me, probably didn't think were that mutually exclusive in the first place. Anyway, Salman Abdi and his family were regular goers to Didsbury Mosque, which has been under investigation before due to connections with a number of Syrian and Libyan extremists over over the last few years, including one called Abda al-Basit Azuz, who left Manchester to run a terrorist network under al-Qaeda. Um, I don't really know what a terrorist network looks like, but I'm guessing the comments are worse than a social network one, but also has a nipple ban. Salman Abdi was apparently quiet, respectful, played football and smoked weed, but then started to travel to Libya quite a lot in 2015, which is when intelligence officials started to notice his behaviour. But according to Home Secretary Amber Rudd, they only noticed it up to a point. So they're now looking into if he worked alone, which is possible as the bomb he was used was made from, as they call it, over-the-counter materials, which means things like an acid-lead battery rather than, you know, condoms or night nurse. But there is also the possibility that he was a mule as part of a much bigger Libyan-influenced network. They have now arrested 14 people, which included Abdi's two brothers and his father, and since then the threat level has now been reduced. So while they're keeping hush-hush on more details of the arrests, we assume they think they've shut it down for now. But while officials would point out it is very, very hard to stop a suicide bombing, despite intelligence being vaguely aware of Abdi, what is becoming evident is that over the last few years, there were a number of people that the intelligence services were vaguely aware of uh, that were allowed to travel to Libya and back, no questions asked, in order to join the fight against Gaddafi. Reports state individuals put under control orders in the UK because of concerns that they might join militant groups in Iraq had travelled to Libya facilitated by MI5. 
While the takedown of Gaddafi seemed entirely necessary, neither the UK government or France, who were also key to the UN-sanctioned actions, made any plans for a failed Libya state. Total disgrace Liam Fox, the professional disgrace, told the Foreign Affairs Committee in 2016 that he did not recall there ever being an assessment of the threat of Islamic extremism among anti-Gaddafi rebels. Liam Fox not knowing about something is absolutely nothing new, but unlike European laws or trade agreements in this case, it seems he didn't know about it because it never actually happened. Now, Salman Abdi was too young to be part of the fighters that travelled over in 2011, but the connections he may have made on his later visits may be key to the investigations as to why all this happened. Oh, and by the way, you will never guess who the Home Secretary was that oversaw all this, would you? Would you? Have a guess. Have a guess. Alright, you'll never get it. So, that is the first bit. And, God, this is meant to be a comedy podcast, isn't it? Bloody hell. The next question is, have police numbers fallen and is this a problem? Answers, nope and nope. Ah, joke. Uh, Yes, government grants to police have been cut by 25% over the last five years and there are 19,000 less police officers than there were in 2016. Is that why mayors had to put the army on the streets? Well, bluntly, yes. As last year, the government announced that they would provide funding to train 1,500 firearms officers to protect the public from terrorism, but the money they pledged to do that was only enough to fund 1,000 of them, with police forces being made to stump up for the extra 500 themselves, despite the lack of budget. No wonder we call them coppers, as that's almost police headquarters have in their pockets at the moment. Also, the funding that the government promised was for a five-year period, so those 1,500 extra armed officers would come in stages. So when Theresa May is promising she'll keep you safe from terror, she means it in the same way that adding one lock to just one door or window in your house once every year would keep you safe from burglary. Sure, they won't be able to steal your stuff by getting through that one window, and you just hope they don't understand how houses work and leave it at that. The next area to look at is the US intelligence leaks, where it's kind of necessary to ask how the US media got hold of information about the attack before the British did, especially as we now get blockbuster films and albums pretty much on the same day as the US, so hey, this isn't fair guys. Now, Washington DC has always been notorious for being a leaky city, which explains the tidal basin. And apparently, UK journalists have apparently looked to the US first quite a lot of times to get info about the UK before they can get it here. But with big old civhead Trump in charge, things are leakier than they've ever been before, and the UK government had to briefly stop sharing info with the US last week as a result. They weren't even the first to do that last week, with Israel reviewing their intelligence sharing approach with the US first after big old Donny Wigface blabbed Israeli info about ISIS to Russian officials. The UK are now sharing info with US intelligence again, but they're going to have to be careful with this while the administration is how it is. With the US out of the picture and Theresa May making threats to the EU about possibly removing intelligence sharing if, you know, Brexit deals aren't good enough, then it's all going to become increasingly possible to get the info needed to prevent attacks at all. First step, I reckon, is buy Donald Trump a secret safe diary. And lastly, this one's slightly off track, but the question that keeps coming up again is all about whether Jeremy Corbyn has terrorist connections with the IRA and therefore whether the UK would be safer under him or Theresa fuck the Popo May. Now, while it makes me angry that it seems to be a big part of the Conservatives' election campaign to trivialise the troubles, I'm going to speed through this a little bit as we could be here a very long time otherwise. What do you mean longer than we're already here for? Shush. From 1972, there is evidence that successive governments maintained so-called back-channel links. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds a bit rude. With the IRA and Sinn Féin. For example, in 1993, then-Prime Minister and his own shade of grey, John Major, told the Commons that the idea of talking with Gerry Adams, the leader of Sinn Féin, and the provisional IRA would turn his stomach and that he wouldn't do it. One month later, it was revealed that government officials were already talking with them. I bet John Major used very similar chat to convince his wife he wasn't having a four-year affair with Rotten Eggs loser Edwina Curry as well. These meetings with Sinn Féin became integral to the peace process under Blair in 1997 as well, and the Conservatives also said in 2009 that they would not give parliamentary allowances to Sinn Féin unless they took their Westminster seats. And eight years later, with the Tories in power, they're still paying them their allowances despite no appearances in the UK Parliament from Sinn Féin. But Corbyn, on the other hand, was very, very public with his meetings with Sinn Féin, which you might like as that's quite transparent, but at the same time, he definitely knew they were linked to the IRA, so it could be seen to be quite stupid. And while it was Labour Party policy for Irish unity at the time, Corbyn was especially outspoken about it. Also, he did sign a motion in the House of Commons in 1994 that condemned IRA violence, and he did mutter a condemnation for the bombings and killings they carried out on Sky News the other week, but it is weird that Corbyn doesn't just say a big old, well, them IRA were right wrong in public, and then be done with it. 
It was also odd that Shadow Home Secretary and main test subject for the Dunning-Kruger effect, Diane Abbott, seriously, look it up, also refused to just condemn them on the Andrew Marsh show this week, instead saying her views about the IRA was, well, she had different hair 35 years ago and she's since changed her hair and her opinions. Firstly, that makes it sound like she's pro-cuts. Secondly, she now has bangs, which is insensitive considering the subject matter. Thirdly, and most importantly, it's just not helpful. Were, however unlikely it still is, Corbyn to get into number 10 and the DUP stay in power in the Northern Irish Assembly, all of this could make that relationship a tad messy. Also, despite calls from support in Northern Ireland, Labour have never run candidates there for general elections or assembly, though to be fair, I'm not sure what good it would be for a still divisive Northern Irish political system to have a party that can't even support itself half the time. So, it's all a bit strange, but I am amazed that the Conservatives' campaign narrative is somehow calling Corbyn a terrorist sympathiser and a pacifist at the same time. I mean, how can he do that? Does he want them to attack people with love bombs? But it's not helpful for the Conservatives to bring up Northern Ireland's past, while they currently have an unstable assembly that won't have a second vote till after the general election that may sprung on them, making everything in Northern Ireland more difficult. Also, this is not forgetting the entire Good Friday agreement that may be completely shafted by Brexit anyway. I'm not sure what the opposite of a peace process is, but it does feel like the Conservatives are desperately trying to find out. Also, all of this brings up the issue that is forever a problem in politics of whether or not politicians are actually allowed to change their minds, admit to making mistakes or not. I'm not saying Corbyn has done any of those things, but if you can be admonished for making a U-turn rather than everyone looking at it as though you've changed your mind, would it be a good or a bad thing to say you've changed your mind over things you've said in the past if you're now seen as a conviction politician? It's almost as though politics is hard or something. So to sum up, all of those things and all of those questions, an awful person did really, really awful things which were awful. It probably couldn't have been entirely prevented, but if useless people, including Theresa Useless May, had done less useless things, it may have been averted. Donald Trump is still awful, Jeremy Corbyn is being weird, and now we're all on the terror threat level severe, which I think severe terror possibilities just means the IT reboot is going to be horrible, as if we haven't had enough of clowns making everything worse already. Seriously, when can we have some nice news happen so comedy gets easier? I'm always intrigued when I get to the polling booth on voting day to find a ton of names of people from parties I have never ever heard of before. In 2015, my local area not only had Labour, Lib Dems, Conservative, Green and a hugely unpopular UKIP candidate called Clive Morrison, whose campaign was all about standing up for real change, which just made him sound like one of those shitty statue street performers. Anyway... As well as those, there were Christian Peoples, which I assume is a party and not just one independent candidate. The Workers' Revolutionary Party, that I think are all for people with jobs to do more spinning classes, probably. And the Hoi Polloi Party, who called themselves a political party for people who hate politics, which explains why no one turned out to vote for them. But... There are so many other parties running, and while some of them may just be a man dressed as a fish finger to run against Tim Farron in this election, some of them work genuinely hard to have proper policies and proper manifestos. No, I don't mean the monster raving loony party, though it is always frightening how many of their policies have actually ended up happening, including 24-hour licences, that was one of those, and uh, pet passports, that was theirs as well. And this year, Monster Avian Looney Party are proposing replacing Trident with a new tuning fork, which I guess would at least have all critics and pro-Trident people singing to the same tune. They also want to give nectar points to taxpayers, which I am super keen on, and that is right up there with one of their policies from the 80s that I loved, which is all about, instead of having a cold and hot water tap, having a custard and jelly tap in the kitchen, which, uh, as a child, I would, have, I would have done that. They would have had my vote immediately. And that is why under-18s can't vote. Um, but look... The first past the post system in the UK and the party funding uh, and the way it all works make it very, very hard for anyone new to actually make a mark in British politics. So this week I spoke to James Smith and James Smith is the leader of Something New, a party that was founded in 2014 in response to James's views about the lack of difference between the two main candidates at the time. Do you remember that? Do you remember it was like, well, that one can't eat a bacon sandwich and that one fucked a pig. It's sort of variations along the same theme. It was very tricky. But Something New aren't a fun party. They're a very serious party. And they have two candidates in this upcoming snap election, which will be the second general election they've run in. They've also run in two local elections and one by-election. And they have a very thorough and very progressive manifesto. So I wanted to speak to James about what it's like to be one of the little guys on the election ballot, why on earth you would put yourself through this awful, awful thing, and what something new are all about. James spoke to me from a field on a sunny day because he really knows how to live his life, and we were at one point heckled by some lovely bird sound. Probably someone complaining on Twitter, eh? <laughs> eh? Sorry. Anyway, here's James. 
hi, James. Um, now, my first question to you really is, uh, I, read, I read your blog post about why you set up something new and the, the about uh, on your party's page. And I think a lot of us have felt that frustration of, ah, just politics is awful. I want to do something about it. Um, but you have gone one step further and actually set up your own new party. So talk me through that. How did you take it that why why did you go that far with it which is amazing i think that's a step that a lot of people would have found too stressful uh yeah that's a really good question uh why why have i gone this far um i ask myself (laughs) that a lot the basically yeah the whole thing started because i just got to the point where i realized that nobody was representing what i believed nobody was talking about the future that i believed in the, the the way of working that i uh uh that i really like so there was just a gap in politics. There was nothing for me. So I thought, well, if I feel that way, other people must as well. Um, but it really started because um, we got, well, I got sort of frustrated with politics. Nothing was, you know, we were, a lot of people were moaning about it and things like that, but it didn't seem very constructive. So we started uh, a project writing down ideas, really, um, rather than saying, you know, politics is broken it should be fixed, actually come up with the things that we thought it should be. Uh, so we started doing that, and that worked. Uh, that was a thing called the Open Politics Manifesto, and the idea of that was it was a very, very open-source project that anyone could contribute to. So sure. there are good ideas out there in the world, um, and there's no reason why everybody shouldn't be able to add theirs. So in a, in a kind of a Wikipedia style, but with a little bit more uh, democratic control... Uh, we started writing this manifesto. Um, and then, after a while, there was an election, and we thought, well, what do you do if you've got a manifesto? You stand. So we ended up standing, we ended up forming the party, um, and it's uh, it's gone from there, really. Sure. And, and, and I want to uh, definitely ask you about your open manifesto a little bit mm-hmm. later on. But the, the sort of going to... I mean, and, and I, I fully respect that you, you've done this and that you decided to just stand someone, but... It's interesting you chose that rather than, say, starting a campaign to influence already formed political parties or, yep. uh, or in fact, just join another political party and try and change them from within. What was it that, you know, there must have been a reason where you thought, well, no, we'd just do this ourselves? So I, I've always um, worked in the kind of startup world of small companies coming in, trying things, breaking stuff, and then uh, and influencing others that way. So... I think certainly by being a small party, you can have that influence. So it's very easy to be a campaign and say, okay, you should do this and that. But actually being a party and doing it um, is another level. So, for instance, yeah, by making all our policy in the open or by publishing all our finances or by publishing our advertising, things like that, um, we can actually do it and show how it should be done. So it's a a little bit more of a... um, uh, a more pragmatic kind of uh, kind of approach, but in terms of the the big parties and things, I think they're they're really really hard to change. You know, one voice um, within the party isn't going to change anything. So I think we can have more of a uh, more of a voice outside. And whether that means that other people pick up ideas that we're doing, whether they uh, grab onto some of the ways that we're working, or whether we build our own base, um, we'll see. Because obviously the, the way in which the democratic system works in the UK is, you know, first past the post means that we're, unless something drastic happens, which may happen on June the 8th, but it's very much going to be this two-party system for how, I mean, whether we like it or not really, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, but also similarly with the, the way that, that, that parties are funded. I mean, is, is your aim, I know you've got two candidates uh, running for this upcoming election, including yourself, um, is your aim sort of to go down the uh, you know the green party route where they've got one candidate but she's quite vocal and they've got one seat and she's quite vocal are you aiming to sort of infiltrate the parliamentary system slowly bit by bit how's what's your game plan uh, as a new party starting out in this rather unfair to new party system that we have yeah it's very very punishing um yeah you you wouldn't do this uh you wouldn't choose this system to work in definitely um i think in a way, that's something we've got to learn as we go. We've got to see what happens. Um, we want to get people elected. We want to get some representatives in there. That's going to be easier probably at things like council level first. Um, general elections particularly are extremely hard to get in, uh, to get in new voices. Um, and it takes a long time to build those things. But the point is that we're, 
we're starting that building process. And in a few years, who knows where we'll be. So it's, uh, I mean, I look back at the development of, of things like UKIP over the years. You know, they took 20, 25 years building from nothing, from coming out on the fringes, but then they've changed utterly our, our political discourse in this country. So it's a long game. It's, you know, we're coming at it from the, the sort of, you know, agile startup world, but it very much doesn't work on those times. Sure. No, of course. And, and I think that's often a thing that uh, a lot of uh, manifestos, a lot of parties don't look at is the, is the long game. You know, it's, I think there's a lot of very short term policies yeah. out there. And yeah. actually, as you Absolutely. say, the way to do yeah. a lot of things is to look to the future and think, how will this build over time? And so, yeah. and obviously you've, you've run candidates in general and local elections since 2015. Um, and in fact, yeah. I was very pleased, you often got more votes than Al Murray did. So uh, very good work there, which is uh, which is brilliant. <laughs> I never actually checked myself it's, against it's Al It's always Murray, worth it. So, I, uh, I regularly do, uh, you know, with his <laughs> consent, obviously. Um, but it's, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, you did, uh, yeah, at least at least a good few more votes than he did. Um, and and how, how do you find candidates for your, are, are you approaching candidates are people approaching you so we're very much just at the moment in that sort of early stage of people coming into us and uh, and getting interested in what we're doing and putting their hand up and saying oh yeah i'm interested in standing so we had a, a few people who were interested this time um we ended up with two who actually uh went through to uh to really uh, to stand um but yeah we're getting interest from just people all over the country it's traveling by word of mouth mostly at the minute so i have been trying to build bridges to other small parties and to other independents who stood last time for instance but again that's a slow process and uh, the uh, the process of standing for election often burns people out sure so they don't want sure. to do it again it's a very small group that'll do sure, it sure of course and i'm guessing as well with this being a snap general <laughs> election you had to get something together quite quickly oh yeah absolutely yeah the timescales have been ridiculous for this one the biggest problem is raising enough money. Of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, and how are you funding this? You're funding, I know you're doing a lot of it through donations. Yep, that's right. We're all funded through small donations um, and through our own candidates putting in their money. Um, but really, it's, yeah, it's just small donations. We're raising money with Crowdpack. Uh, we've used uh, Crowdfunder before. Um, but yeah, it's all thanks to the uh, the generosity of the people who support us. Really, that we sure, can do which this. Which is a very democratic way. Uh, if people, you know, support absolutely. you, then that's yep. direct influence from the people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it and it's all and we publish all of that information as well. So every so anyone can see where all of our donations come from and how big they are and so on. So it's all uh, it's all out there. It'd be much easier to have a uh, you know a, a millionaire who wants to get involved in politics on side, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there are any listening, uh, then firstly fund my Patreon page, but then you know get in touch uh, with James. Um, Absolutely. And, and I was going to say because I think that's that's another obviously your funding and and a number of things that you uh, have in your manifesto. It's very progressive, and I saw that you say yep. um, in your your FAQs and your website that you're not left or right wing, but you're forward, which I, I really yep. like that term. Um, an open internationalist, it, but it's a very very progressive manifesto. Um, especially your pro staying in the EU, your pro immigration. Yep. Uh, yep. You want to decriminalise soft drugs, and and personally, I have to say, I'm not against any of that. <laughs> but it's um, you know, have you? Those ideas aren't necessarily popular in today's UK, uh, especially amongst voters. And if you look at sort of the people that are voting for Conservatives or you can, people like that, those are the, the policies that they'd be against. H how have you mm -hmm. found getting support for those ideas in the areas that you're campaigning? So I think that a lot of the ideas that we have, we're told generally by the media that they're unpopular and that they're not, they're not part of the window of, uh, of acceptable ideas. But I don't think that's really true. I think there's a lot of... Uh, um, the progressive thought that actually doesn't get much uh, doesn't get much exposure really but there's a lot of that belief still in the UK we, we've kind of been trained out of believing that that's possible but um, yeah I mean for us we want to be you know ideas like left and right are very much sort of industrial era old style politics and they don't really make sense to anyone you, you look at it the parties on the left and the right and they're both fractured along uh, different lines so actually those lines aren't relevant anymore. What's much more relevant is a kind of localist or internationalist, individual versus collective kind of split, um, rather than what we think of as left and right. 
And, and is a lot of it based on, because obviously you said you, you've come from a background of working with a lot of startups and things, and I know it's your yep. manifesto is very pro-net uh, neutrality and yep. uh, kind of opening borders and trade and communications. And, I mean, that that is a very sort of futurist notion. I mean, that is the way the world is going. It always seems quite baffling to me that more Absolutely. parties aren't focusing on that. Absolutely. Um, and so is that is that the world that you, you want a more open... Uh, I mean, this sounds great to me. I, I'm sort of, but you know, you're looking at looking for a more open but also kind of technologically advanced world. What's what's your ideal yeah. utopia? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, th- that's a really, really good question because it's a question that politicians don't get asked. I mean, they, they what's the Conservative and Labour's what what do their utopias look like? I have no idea. What are they actually working for? I mean, for me, yeah, it's a a, uh, a technologically advanced world where we're all connected um, at a global level. Uh, where we can work together at a global level to solve the problems that we have at a global level. We are not a selection of individuals anymore. We're, we're operating at a planetary scale and we've got to, to start living like that. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, global government coercion. We've got now the power to to do something about it a lot more collective. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really think the sort of that technology is taking us to a much more connected future where we're all connected to each other much more directly and that we can use that to, to solve those big problems. And that's what I that's what I want to see, that working openly. Not the kind of... The, there's also the danger that technology is taking us towards a very closed future, a very dystopian future of, uh, you know, Facebook owning everything and basically running our democracy. I mean, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the worst outcome. And I think we have to start proactively looking at the world that's coming and working out what we want it to be as a society because if we just leave it we're not sure where we'll end up and it'll end up with power consolidating and I think we have a great opportunity to democratise power Sure, I mean it's one of the the things that I find very concerning actually is that none of the, and I know again snap election everyone's had to pull this together but Mm. none of the main parties have put anything about like the automation of society or these things that I I personally think will be quite, you know, cause quite dramatic changes in the the way that the economy and and the workforce works uh, in a few years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean the, the, the Conservative Manifesto certainly is attempting to backpedal on as much technology as it can to, uh, to take us to, to almost avoid the whole problem um, but yeah I mean you, you mentioned automation things like you know driverless cars are coming in the first place that's going to hit is the transport industry and that's going to affect a huge number of people who work in that and who's got any what parties are looking out for actually how that transition's going to work where are we going um, yeah the ideas like basic income and things like that are starting to become part of uh, a little bit more popular in in political discourse but it's really it's not what anyone's presenting as the future of what does what does the world look like not even in 50 years but in 20 hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we'll be back with James in a minute, but first... Elections over here, elections over there, there's the 
the time of recording, we are T-minus 11 days till the election and just nine days of campaigning left. And I've just spent the last hour and a half watching Sky News' battle for number 10 that sadly didn't include any sort of battle at all, or it might have actually been interesting. Jeremy Paxman seemed angry at absolutely everything because he obviously isn't let out of his cage often enough to question people anymore. And highlights generally included people laughing at Theresa May in a mocking way, people applauding Jeremy Paxman for calling the Prime Minister a blowhard, a man being caught on camera mouthing bollocks twice at Theresa May's answers, and a man standing up at the end to give Theresa May a standing ovation, realising he was on his own and sitting down again. Jeremy Corbyn fared pretty well during his half, despite Paxman asking him again and again why he wouldn't want to condemn us all into a nuclear war, which is a strange state of hyper-normalisation that we're now in in this world, where Jeremy Paxman can basically scream, Why won't you have a nuclear war, Jeremy? Have you not seen Akira, Jeremy? Did you not like their fancy bikes, Jeremy? Very strange. Confusingly, Jeremy Corbyn's very assured performance on the show seemed to impress even everyone's least favourite fire-scarred goblin, Nigel Farage, who tweeted that Jezza came across as sincere, which is something I didn't even know Nigel Farage knew of or could recognise as a thing. Boris Johnson, on the other hand, tweeted that we can't have this weak jelly for PM, which prompted me to wonder if that was just because if Corbyn was a weak jelly, Boris would try to eat him. I don't really feel that I learned much at all from the Battle for Number 10 programme. May repeated a lot of the same stuff as though someone had forgotten to hit shuffle on her. Corbyn said he'd met the Queen and looked like he hadn't changed clothes since yesterday. And mainly what I spent the entire show wondering was if Jeremy Paxman's wife, Mrs Paxman, looks exactly like him, but with a bow. Oh, and also Jeremy Corbyn mentioned a President Terry of Peru, which made me very happy, as I like to believe he's a cockney that just took a gamble on holiday and it paid off big time. This election is genuinely bonkers so far, and while it still looks like it's going to be a Conservative win, it's really not certain how much by, or if it's going to have been worth May holding a snap election at all. While I would love for May to lose, actually, what I'd really love is for her to fall down a well, but if she lost, that would be amazing. But to be fair, if she also gains a Pyrrhic victory, I will also laugh for about 400 years, because there is no better British value than the one where we, as a nation, all want to knock people off a high pedestal as often as possible. A value that only Nelson seems to have avoided, and stilt walkers are constantly terrified about. The Conservative manifesto not being costed and including dementia tax has really, really hurt them. And there was one lovely moment in the Battle for Number 10 show where Theresa May said that Labour's manifesto doesn't add up and someone simply shouted, well, yours isn't even costed. Exactly. And to be fair, Labour's manifesto does seem to be really chiming with people. But, I hear you cry, what about all the other manifestos? There are loads. Well, don't cry, that is a little bit of an overreaction, but while there are such seats as Richmond that the Lib Dems have a great chance in, or Brighton that is always Greens, I do think that this, even more so than normal, is a big Labour Tory fight. Or in Scotland, an SNP Tory fight, with Labour occasionally running in to do a kick but missing. However, just for a little bit of balance, I thought on this week's show I would do a quick roundup of the other more major parties' manifestos just for you guys. Yeah, see, I really care. First up is the party that used to all be about sex scandals until they were fucked by the Conservatives. That is right, the Lib Dems. Their main manifesto pushpoint is to have another referendum on the final Brexit deal because, of course, what people really want is yet another bloody vote. I wonder if this is the Lib Dems' clever way of winning over schoolchildren now by giving them an extra day off in their year so that eventually when they grow up they'll forgive them for their 2011 tuition fees balls up. They are the pro-Europe party in this election and the Lib Dems are promising to retain membership of Single Market and Customs Union which would mean that we'd have to not leave the EU at all or join the EEC at least. And they've also vowed to retain free movement which again as part of the EEC uh, they'd have to. I guess if they did give a second referendum and people pledged not to do any of those things, then half their manifesto would be completely and utterly scuppered and pointless. The Lib Dems say that they will protect Britain's place in Europe, which I think means that they're up for fighting any shifting tectonic plates that occur, and good on them for aiming to do groundwork like that. Groundwork. Tectonic plate. Do you get it? No? Hmm... The El Dizzles also say that they'd reverse universal credit cuts and reinstate housing benefits to 18 to 21-year-olds, which are both very good policies. And in fact, the Lib Dems manifesto promises to reverse even more cuts than the Labour one does. Though you do wonder if reversing the housing benefit for 18 to 21-year-olds is just a guilty thing that they've done, uh, helping young people to save money to pay all their tuition fees with. Yes, I will keep bringing that up. If it was a big enough deal to make an auto-tune track out of it, it is big enough to base everything else on. 
The Lydees vow to scrap the Snoopers Charter, which shows that they understand the internet more than the Conservatives do. Um, and they've also said that they would have a democratically elected upper chamber, which I quite like the sound of, mainly to piss off Andrew Lloyd Webber. But also, uh, the Lords have become pretty good at challenging May's Brexit bulldozing lately, so it's hard to know how I feel about them anymore. It's very strange. I mean, apart from Andrew Lloyd Webber, who I still absolutely hate. I mean, he flew back from New York just to vote for cutting tax credits, the arsehole. He looks like a rejected League of Gentlemen character. And look, roller skating train people is the worst idea for a musical ever. Stop it. Uh, the Lib Dems also want votes for 16-year-olds, as in for 16-year-olds to vote, not for people to vote for them. Although, I guess they could. It would definitely jazz up the Commons if half of them gave speeches using emojis. Uh, and the Lib Dems also want to regulate cannabis because, let's face it, the country needs a bit of a break and a bit of a slowdown. So, not a bad manifesto at all. It's full of very interesting stuff, but the fact is based on mostly not Brexiting has its problems, especially for any Lib Dems campaigning in strong leave areas. It also seems that relievers are also a thing, which are people who voted Remain but now accept a leave result. Yes, yes, I know relievers sounds like people who go around giving handjobs, but... But if that is really a thing, no, not the handles bit, the other thing, then the Lib Dems won't even have all of the Remainers on side with this idea either. But maybe they know all of that, and maybe they just think that, fuck it, let's put what we like in this, because at the moment we've only got nine seats and we can take the entire party round in a minibus, so why on earth would we want to gain any other MPs and up our costs? Often I think of purple as the colour of Bellens. Appropriate then that it's also the colour of UKIP, whose manifesto post-Brexit has more dog whistles than a one-man and his dog competition. Firstly, on the manifesto is a one-in, one-out immigration system, which you'd expect from Paul Nuttall, who looks like a bouncer to a nightclub that he promises is full of girls or boys, depending on your preference. Then you walk in and it's just a sad man playing Tony Christie dance remixes while a sad woman clears away chairs. No clues on if the one-in-one-out policy also includes a ban on sportswear, but they do say they'd like to reduce net migration to zero. I'm not sure that they realise that that can be done by making just as many people leave the UK as stay, and with the UKIP government they may well end up in the negatives. The manifesto also promises a moratorium on unskilled workers or load-skilled workers for five years post-Brexit, because British people have been dying to pick their own fruit for years. Oh no wait, oh wait, sorry, uh, no, British people enjoy cherry picking, it's not quite the same. Uh, UKIP have also proposed a burqa ban because, as they say, and this is a direct quote, clothing that hides identity, puts up barriers to communication, limits employment opportunities, hides evidence of domestic abuse and prevents intake of essential vitamin D from sunlight is not liberating. Yes, that last bit is really there. They think that Muslim women who choose to wear burqas or niqabs all have rickets underneath. It's really there. I mean, the idea that if any of those women live in Britain, they'd gain any more anyway, with or without them on, is bizarre. Have you seen the weather? If you get really are concerned about vitamin D intake, why don't they all just fuck off to live somewhere hot? UKIP also wants social attitude tests to stop people entering the country who believe women or gay people are second class, though there is nothing about what to do with people already in the UK who think like that, which would include most of UKIP's members. Oh, and they've also promised a VAT tax cut on fish and chips, but I don't know if that's a small or a large one. Also, uh, one UKIP candidate, get this, Aidan Paulusland, who is standing in the South Suffolk constituency, he has added to his leaflet a section called the Starry Firmament, which, yeah, that sounds rude. Um, but this section details how he wants to set money aside in order to mine the asteroid belt. Fair play, mate. At least he's a UKIP member who's thinking outside his village for once. Though sadly, I do think the only astronomy area UKIP will achieve this election is being totally eclipsed and sucked into a black hole of nothingness. Next up is the Greens, who are looking at a universal basic income, something I've discussed on this show before, and a potential solution to the increasing automation of society. Uh, they also want a referendum on the final Brexit deal, which would include a not-leaving-the-EU option, which I hope would just be listed on the ballot as, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Can I give it another go? They would want to phase in a 35-hour or four-day working week, which, I mean, so far, a universal basic income and a three-day weekend. They should really also offer the Lib Dems' idea of cannabis regulation as well, and then a mandatory dressing gown wear and hey we could all live like the dude the greens want to write off existing student debt scrap tuition fees end private companies investing in the nhs take railways into public ownership and fund it all by taxing top earners and yeah some of that probably sounds a bit familiar Yes, you're right, it appears the Greens have successfully recycled and reused the best bits from other manifestos. Of course, there is also strong environmental protections too, but then they also printed their manifesto, so, hmm, how does that work? 
For any Welshies listening, Plaid Cymru's manifesto focuses a lot on Wales having no costly barriers to trading with the EU, something that Wales absolutely won't get to decide unless it suddenly became independent. Uh, though to be fair, another Plaid Cymru policy is to ensure all future trade deals are endorsed by the National Assembly, though again, not sure they'd actually ever be allowed to do that. Plaid Cymru also want to fund 7.5 billion of investment into the Welsh infrastructure. They want to block the Port Talbot super prison, though they don't say where else they'd imprison supervillains. And they want to ensure a living pension for all, which I always think sounds like a horror film. And they've also promised a Wales-wide transport system, which, if you've ever been to Midwest Wales, you're a liar, because the transport system to get there is so shit, I highly doubt it. The SNP haven't unveiled their manifesto yet as they delayed it due to the terrorist attack last week, but what we do know is that they would pursue a progressive alliance if there was a hung parliament, which is an interesting stance for a group seeking independence. It's a bit like saying, I want to do my own thing, but if I can't afford a flat by myself, I'll get married. So, some good stuff, or in UKIP's case, all awful, but a mixed bag with none of them looking, except in Scotland, like they might give a good challenge to the Conservatives or Labour. But who knows? It's all become more of a two-horse race again with Conservatives and Labour on 80% share of the polls. Green voters seem to be going to a left-wing Labour, UKIPers seem to be going back to a more right-wing Conservative, and Lib Dems are going nowhere fast. So, are you red or blue? Considering I'm holding my breath waiting for results while all of this keeps heating up, my face is oddly both at the moment, which ultimately tells you nothing other than on June the 9th, I'm probably going to need a lie down. And now, back to James. And I was going to ask as well that the manifesto. There's, um, you've got a very thorough manifesto, which is which is great. Um, but it's it's open to contributions from absolutely anyone, um, yeah. which I like. But isn't that dangerous? Have you had anything submitted where you thought we can't let that go on there? Oh yeah, know, absolutely. Have, so yeah. the the whole uh, the whole process is is open and democratic, and you can go and see uh, things that have been uh, brought in that are just incompatible with what we have. Um, the idea is that it's open to anyone. Um, anyone can make a proposal. There's a certain set of core principles that are really what we measure everything by. And the decision on what to accept is basically made by everyone who has written a part of it so far. So if you go in, you write something and you have it accepted, you'll get to vote the next time. So we're trying to expand that uh, that pool of contributors and that pool of voters. But in the, in the same way, it keeps a bit of direction. Um but we also make it harder for things to get in than for things to be rejected. So it's a little bit defensive. So we have had someone come in and, and put in the obvious uh, bring back hanging for anyone and everyone. Um, and, you know, being incompatible with the core principles, that got, that got blocked and vetoed and, uh, and didn't get in. But that process is transparent and open and you can still go back and look at that change and see exactly what conversation went on around it and, and why and, and so on. So... We try not to hide those things away. In fact, we're proud of them. And um, and let, just go back to this election campaign. You've got uh, your your standing, aren't you, in Horsham? Yep. Uh, that's which right. is currently is that Francis Maud in that seat? It was Francis Maud until last time. Uh, then he stepped down and became a uh, became Lord Maud, um, oh. which is a, which is a great name. Uh, currently, we have uh, a guy called Jeremy Quinn, who is our uh, our MP at the moment, who's a backbencher. Right. Okay. And he they, he's quite far ahead in the he's quite far ahead in the vote share in oh, 2015. This is a it? very safe seat. Absolutely. This is a very safe seat. But one of the nice things about uh, about campaigning in a safe seat is you don't really have to make a play for the the marginal voters. You can just say what you think. It's great. <laughs> sure. So so in a way, this is as you said earlier, it's about making a stand, making your absolutely. policies yeah. Yeah. clear, and kind of presenting a, a possibility yeah. of the other options to to people. Yeah. And and getting feedback and and seeing what people say and and. Even around here, in a in a very safe, very conservative seat, we get a really good reception from people um, on on what we're doing. So, and we use that to improve what we do, and and so on. So things like learning from how leaflets go over and things like that, through to uh, to what we change the next time, is uh, it's all really useful. Fantastic. And and your other candidate is Lewis Sturrock, and he's in. Yep. Is it Rossky and Lochaber? Is that am I saying yes, that right? Probably. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I think so. <laughs> Yes, up in the uh, the country's largest constituency, um, right up uh, in the Highlands, uh, which was, I think, Charles Kennedy's old constituency. So it goes uh, all the way along the Great Glen, um, and is absolutely huge. Wow! So uh, yeah, we've got one at the top of the country and one at the bottom. So it's kind of a sandwich. <laughs> Brilliant. And I'm, I'm guessing is is that similar? Is that an SNP seat now? I'm guessing the 
Uh, it is, yes. I'll show you that I've done my research. Um, it's, it's, uh, t- it's pretty much guaranteed. Sure, yeah, sure, of course. So, again, is, is uh, that thing of just building up support, building up kind of awareness yep. of yep. the possibility that's of it. other ideas. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's, it's getting the ideas out there and, um, and just getting them in front of people and seeing what they think. Fantastic. And so, okay, so you've got this election coming up, and then what are your... Uh, I suppose it depends on if... You know, this government do repeal the fixed parliament act like they asked. We may have one every yep. year for the next few years. Who yes. knows? Oh, um, that's, that's what we do. We vote all the time now, right? So. Yeah. So, uh, and then we, I'm guessing you'll be standing uh, for local elections in 2018 and just hoping to build yeah. over. Time. Yeah, yeah. So we, we stood in uh, we stood local elections this year, um, and yeah, we'll be doing the same again next year. Um, I think next year we've got all of the London boroughs up for election, which is oh, great. Uh, really good, and some other major metro areas as well. I think Manchester's certainly one, and there's almost certainly more. I haven't made a full list yet. Um, but those kinds of things are definitely ones where we can get... Uh, we can make more of an impact. Um, so, yeah, hopefully gearing up. It's a nice length of time as well between the next ones. It's like, OK, it's ten months away, so that gives us a good uh, a good run at it. So, sure, yeah, hopefully getting more interest, getting more people who want to stand and uh, and get involved. And, and what would you say to... Because I, I think in the current situation, especially listeners to this podcast, unless I've got secret Conservative listeners and they don't tell me, um, but I think, you know, <laughs> the, the main drive for this snap election is to just reduce the Conservative majority as much as possible. I mean, what would you say... Uh, to people who w- would normally, uh, you know, vote for Labour or Lib Dem or whatever to get the Conservatives out, why would they give you guys a vote instead? Um, so that's a really interesting question. So I'm not a fan of tactical voting. I think it's, it's it shouldn't be how the system works, right? You should vote for what you want. Um, this time, I think we we're in such a precarious situation that if people are in uh, you know, marginal seats, things like that, they should be voting tactically. Um, I would have loved to see some kind of progressive alliance come together, but, mm. you know, parties don't want to play with each other, right? They don't want to collaborate, um, which I think is is ridiculous. The... Uh, but, you know, in terms, of, um, in terms of us, I think if you want to see and help build a movement that is built for this century not for the 19th. Um, if you want a movement that understands the world that we live in now and is, is built for it and from it and that is looking to take on those big problems, then we have to start building that movement now so that we can uh, make a difference in the future. And that's what we're here to do. Cool. Well, very good luck with it. And uh, lastly, how can people get involved? Uh, where can they find you online? Uh, you can come and find us at somethingnew.org.uk uh, or you can find us on Twitter at Have Some New or we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash somethingnewuk. Brilliant. Well, very good luck uh, on June the 8th. And remember, as long as you beat Al Murray, it's... Um, I mean, he's not running this time, but you can always use his past election results <laughs> as a guideline. Yeah. <laughs> Many thanks to James for chatting with me. Um, if you ever want to find out about something new and feel they're a part of you want to help grow, do head to their website at somethingnew.org.uk where you can also find their open manifesto. Uh, they're also on Twitter at Have Some New and on Facebook too. And if you're in the constituencies of Horsham or Roscoe and Lockerbar and don't wish to vote for any of the major parties, then why not give them a look? And I do think looking at small parties is really important. Uh, one of my favourite stories and someone that I hope to one day get on this podcast um, is looking at the uh, former Reykjavik Mayor John Nah, who was a comedian in Iceland and then after all the financial crash he was pretty sick of things and he created a party called the best party that just very sort of stupidly and fun promised to do things like put a polar bear in the zoo and make sure that swimming pools had free towels so you wouldn't have to bring your own and he ended up getting voted in and he was quite possibly one of the best mayors Reykjavik has ever had he did first time things for Iceland like take his whole family on a gay pride march Um, and when I visited uh, you could sort of look around the town hall um, because it's Iceland and really no one's ever a threat because there's no one there Uh, and when I turned up there was a big sign on the door that said simply said, hey, I'm afraid there's no one around at the moment. We've heard that there are issues in Selfos, so we've moved all our offices to there to sort things out, uh, and we'll be back when it's done. I thought, can you, at the time, Boris Johnson was the mayor of London. I thought, can you ever imagine him ever saying, popping a little note in his door going, I've gone to live in Tower Hamlets until shit gets sorted. No, never. Um, so look, small parties can make a change. Maybe not here, but hey, you know, 
fancy a trip to Iceland? Anyway, look, there'll be no guest next week as it's probably going to be a mini pre-election episode and then I'm in need of guests after that to discuss Emperor May and how quickly she's renamed parts of the UK to Mega City 1, 2, 3 and the Cursed Earth. So I'm really asking this week if you have suggestions for who to interview or what on earth you'd like to hear about in the world of politics post-June the 9th, then please, please, please do drop me a line at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Group on Facebook, partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com or, you know, wait for a full moon, then howl in the key of email which I'll be able to differentiate from a proper werewolf howl as I'm out hunting then and I'll note down your request accordingly. Again, email is probably best. As the last pre-election podcast question of the week, this week I asked for suggestions for campaign slogans for any of the other parties running in this election, ranging from the big regionals, <laughs> that sounds rude, such as SNP, Sinn Féin, DUP and Plaid Cymru, uh, to the other itty-bitty ones from NHA to Animal Welfare. Anyway, not many of you responded this week, probably due to bank holiday or perhaps the overwhelming possibility of choice, which does make you wonder if a two-party system is in fact best. But here are some of the great replies that I did get. Matt Kinson says, uh, for the Animal Welfare Party, against Trump's grab and by the pussy on so many levels. Uh, and he also said, monster raving loony party, by 2020 we will look reserved and demure. That is frighteningly true. Uh, at Andy Gilder says, Plied Kimry, dead men don't wear plied, but smart ones vote it. That is a properly great phrase. They should really use that. Um, at Gibby McDibby uh, says, uh, vote wig. The H in wig is important. We are in no way associated with or endorsed by Donald Trump. And Gibby McDibby's also put, vote SNP because we aren't all sick of referenda yet. Same, that could also apply to the Lib Dems or Greens. Um, at Fluff Logic says, uh, Monster Raving Looney Party. Ah, ah, ha, 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 ha. Look at these clowns. Brilliant. Um, at Princess of VP for the Women's Equality Party says, uh, hashtag not all men, hashtag obviously. And she followed that up by saying, My feminist soul now hates me. Wonderful. And at the Master's Beard says, uh, Sinn Fein, just because we spoke to Boris Johnson doesn't mean we in any way support his extremist views. Wonderful. Uh, also, because that was all the uh, entries that we got this week, I'm going to add a couple. Uh, the Pirate Party, a good slogan would be, put a cross in the box for us and we'll dig it up looking for treasure. Communist League, like the Justice League, only Batman has to share all of his stuff. Church of the Militant Elvis Party, making sure politics gets all shook up. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a shit one, but they're a real party, trust me. Uh, the Realist Party, their slogan could be, I don't know why you'd bother, we won't get in. And the Populist Party could simply put, hey, look, it worked last year. More questions coming in in June and check the Twitter or Facebook for them in a few weeks' time. And that is all for this week's show. Thank you once again for listening, or at least just playing this while you paid attention to other stuff. I mean, personally, I always imagine that you sit in a meditative state while tuning in, unable to do literally anything else but take every word I say into your brain. I mean, sure, I know in reality this is what you use to go to sleep to, or perhaps something you play in the garden to keep cats away, but hey, a guy's got a dream. Please, please, please do give the show a review on iTunes, Stitcher or Yelp just to see if anyone actually uses it ever. And please do donate to the Papa Bro Patreon or Kofi KO-FI sites if you can. It really does help. And please just spread the word about this show if you can. It'd be really nice to think that we could start the next government with some nice new listening figures so we can all feel miserable together. Big, big thanks to Acast for hosting this noise ride and to my brother Last Skeptic for allowing me to use his musics as always. This is going to be back briefly next week, by which point hopefully all I'll have to report on is Corbyn saying he's never met anyone called John, while Theresa May is reported missing after a complete lack of public appearances for a week. Bye. This week's show was brought to you by the numbers 45% and 34%, which is both average polling figures for the Conservative and Labour after this weekend, but also how many comedy fans I have before and after I tell a shit joke. You're welcome. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.